0: Well, this is the last chapter. We got there, everybody. This is chapter 13. The past 12 chapters' discussion has centred on establishing the authority of Christ. It defined how Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice, all the while constantly outlining that Jesus is greater. Greater than Moses, greater than the angels and Melchizedek, greater than all the sacrifices ever offered up to God the Father. Then the book does a smooth segue to this is what Christ has done for us. What's our response? Our response should be to draw near to him. Draw near to the one who took away our sins. And chapter 10 says, hang in there. Persevere until he comes. Using the hall of faith... In our chapter 11, as examples of those who have gone before us, Noah, Abel, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Rahab, finishing with let's run the race and stay focused on him. God wants to do this together with us. And then along comes chapter 13. With its practical and direct statements, it's a black and white approach to Christian living. And some scholars have argued that Hebrews 13 is just an appendix to chapters 1 to 12. They think it's an add-on from where the real theology and the Christian thought has been over the past 12 chapters, where Christian theology has been unpacked and explored and discussed. And so this is where we start today, chapter 13. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for our time together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are here with us. Lord, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to reveal what your word has to say for us this morning. Lord, as we explore what you have and how you feel we should live as Christians in our homes and in our church and in our community, Lord, I pray that you stir our hearts. Stir our hearts, Father and Lord, let, this, let us go out refreshed, with greater understanding and knowledge than when we came in. So bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. When I started reading this chapter, it, it felt disjointed. Um, it was coming from all different angles, and it was like this random display of ideas and thoughts. The writer talks about everything from hospitality to remembering people in prison to marriage, honouring leaders, strange teachers, altars and animals, camping, uh, leadership and authority. And I'm, I'm looking at this going, what are we trying to say here? But then I started to look into these statements and I made a connection. So I want to be able to share this morning that these verses do tie in together And that there is a focal point which is all about Jesus. So, this is it, guys. This is the final installment of Hebrews. Let's open our Bibles, if you haven't already, to Hebrews chapter 13. And I want to start in the middle of the chapter. We're going to start with verse 11 and 12. And it says, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Now, I don't want to go into this because we've already talked about this in previous chapters. We've already studied the relationship between Jesus as the high priest and Jesus as the greatest sacrifice. But what I do want to say is that the work of redemption, expressed as sanctifying or making clean and holy, of the people by Jesus' blood means that his death on the cross opened up the way for everybody to have access to God, everybody. This couldn't occur under the Levitical arrangement. That was only available to Jews. And so as a result of verse 11 and 12, we come to verse 13 and 14. And this is the focal point of chapter 13. It says, "'Let us then go to him outside the camp,' bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. And the Living Bible puts it this way. So let us go out to him beyond the city walls, that is, outside the interests of this world, being willing to be despised, to suffer with him there, bearing his shame. For this world is not our permanent home, We are looking forward to a home which is yet to come. Because Jesus has died for everybody, both Jews and Gentiles, we now have access to Jesus. If you want to be near Jesus, if you want to feel his presence, we have to go outside the camp. And Jesus is already outside the camp, ready and waiting, and he calls us to come. So, what is this camp? And why is it so important? I want to talk about two references of outside the camp. The first one is with Moses and the children of Israel. The Lord's presence was inside the camp when the Israelites first journeyed out of Egypt. Deuteronomy 23:14 says, "'For the Lord your God moves about in your camp to protect and deliver you from your enemies.'" Your camp must be holy, so that he will not see among you any indecent and turn away from you. So God was inside the camp. The Lord was inside the camp. Outside of the camp was where people would go if they had diseases like leprosy, those that were unclean, if they had broken the Sabbath, or if they'd blasphemed, which incidentally is what Jesus was convicted of by the Sanhedrin before his crucifixion. They would be stoned outside the camp, anything that was impure outside the camp. But then the children of Israel decided to build a golden calf. We know the story. And whilst Moses was up on the mountain in Mount Sinai with the Lord, the children were building this golden calf. They were worshipping this golden calf, this new God. And at that point, the children of Israel rejected the Lord. And from that point on, the Lord chose to reveal his presence outside the camp. Exodus 33 says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent and meet outside the camp. The Lord had been rejected by his people. And so to access his presence, the Israelites needed to go outside the camp to the tent of meeting. Moses would do this and the glory of the Lord would descend as a cloud amongst the tent outside the camp. The second reference to outside the camp is Jesus' death at Calvary, which was held outside the city gates. Jesus suffered, he was taunted, he was hurdled insults, persecuted and shamed outside those city gates. He was deemed unclean and a blasphemer. The rejection of Jesus again meant the rejection of our Lord. However, it was in this unclean place outside the gates that Jesus would shed his blood for the redemption of our sins so that those who were unclean could be made clean again and holy And so yet again, this is where Jesus' presence was. Being made freely available, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles, to you and I. Outside the camp. Outside the gates of Jerusalem. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Do you get it? So what does this mean? That Jesus is outside the camp and we need to go to him. Let me first tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean... To live outside the camp with Jesus does not mean that we live our life exclusively where we only fellowship with Christians, we only read Christian books, we only talk to Christian people, we only work in a Christian home, uh, environment, we only conduct cri- uh, businesses, business transactions with other Christians, and we shun everybody else out. That is not living outside of the camp with Jesus. Because that contradicts what the Bible says, to go out into all the world and preach the gospel and share the news and show love to each other. So that's what it isn't. So what does living outside the camp mean? Good question, Tamara? Good question. When we talk about living outside the camp, this means first and foremost that we are to go with Jesus. Verse 13, if you read it in your Bibles, it says, "'Let us then go to him.'" We're talking about verse 13 and 14, the crux of this chapter. Let us go to him. We need to be joined with Jesus. We need to be joined with Christ. We need to have a union with him and put our faith in him. We need to seek first his kingdom and then all these things will be added. We need to ask him what he wants us to do with our lives and then obediently do it. We need to be joined with him. Living outside the camp as a faithful disciple of Christ means we need to become detached from the world. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of our eyes and the pride of our life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away but whoever does the will of God lives forever. We need to leave behind the familiarity of what non-believers are doing in the camp and turn outside the camp to Jesus. It means living according to the word of God. Being outside the camp is our response to the call of Jesus to become a true disciple, a true follower of him. He beckons us to come outside the camp. To answer the call and life and live a life outside the camp, we need to be willing to suffer for him. And this is a radical call to join Jesus. Because just being associated with him can make us a target of persecution and scorn. When we go outside the camp, don't think it odd that we're, in, we're exposed to insults and persecution. Or if we're made to look foolish for what we believe and what we stand up for. Jesus said in John 15, If the world hates you, just remember, it hated me first. So when we go outside the camp, expect to be shamed and taunted as we bear the disgrace that Jesus bore. Outside the camp is a call for us to move towards need and not comfort. To rely on Jesus in all things. Andrew brought it up this morning. Not to love or rely on worldly possessions as they only exist in a world that's fleeting. The call of Jesus from outside the camp means to live a life that has eternal consequences. Don't live as the world lives, but how the Lord wants us to live. So that's what living outside the camp means. So what's the point of all this? Why respond to the call of Jesus and live outside the camp? Why go towards Jesus and not the world? Why go towards need and not comfort? Why suffer? Why care about people? The answer is in verse 14. Because here on earth we do not have a lasting city, but there's a city which is to come. We sang about it this morning. He lives, he lives It is the city of the living God, says Hebrews 12. And this city is so much better, so much better than what we're experiencing here. And it will last for eternity. And the best part about it is that we are with Jesus himself in that city. And we're with God in paradise in all the glory and the heavenly Father in this city. It's amazing. So that is why we do live outside the camp. So, against this backdrop of living outside the camp and being a radical follower of Jesus, we can now look at other aspects of this chapter. There are some practical supports which will, help, um, which will allow us to pursue living a godly life outside the camp with Jesus. And I want to share about how we can live outside the camp in our church, in our family, and in our community. So we're going to start with living a life outside the camp in our church. To be able to stand firm as a disciple of Jesus, we need to live a life outside the camp. And the Bible encourages us to have a strong church family. Hebrews 13, to 3 says, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Don't forget to entertain strangers. And remember those in prison as if you were suffering. So the first one, we must love each other with brotherly love. Church, just have a look at each other. Burnside Family Church, peer over the pews, have a look at each other. We're to love each other, everybody, with brotherly love and sisterly love. Our church family must be our greatest supporters, true, as we live a life as radical believers outside the camp. We need to be filled to overflowing in here with love love for each other, so that when we go out to the community, our love spills out. And when the community makes us look foolish for the values we hold and express, or when we go through tough times, as we spread the gospel, or as we're being God's hands and feet, being salt and light in the world, we need to have the full confidence that we can come to our church family to here, to Burnside Family Church, and we can feel love, we can feel safe, we can feel supported. And church, we do this by helping each other, by giving others the benefit of the doubt, by being thankful and kind in our words, by meeting together often and having a meal together, invite people to your homes, by sharing, by being strong friends, not just Sunday hellos by doing life together, by caring and carrying each other's hurts and struggles. And for that to occur, we need to be vulnerable, to share them, to laugh and cry through all seasons. As a church, we've got to laugh with each other. Let's celebrate the good times. We've got to cry with each other. When someone is crying, let it be your shoulder, your hug, your arms around them to say, hey, it's okay, we can do this together. Burnside Family Church needs to love brotherly love. Like blood brothers and sisters. Love each other. Love each other. Because there's a world out there that is against the church. And we need to feel safe and secure together with deep friendships. And another thing we can do is encourage each other with the word of God. Scripture goes on to say, Show hospitality to strangers. And this is still in the context of church life and for new people that come into our church. It's not restricted to a meal, but it welcomes, offers friendship and relationship. It tends to their needs and helps carry their burdens. It has a conversation with them and listens to them. When we live a life outside the city, we need these moments to refresh and to build us up, to know that we aren't the only ones. If people walk in our door, Show them love, show them kindness, invite them out for lunch that day as they come in and just get to know them and, and show hospitality to strangers. We need to know that we're not the only ones doing it out there. Just like Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Do you remember that one? He really could have done with a good meal with a church family, I reckon. That's my take on it. Because he cries out to God saying, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put all the prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. Do you remember this passage? And what's Jesus' response? Hang on a minute, Elijah. Ease up, buddy. There are 7,000 other people in Israel who haven't bowed their knee to to Baal. It's okay Elijah, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. And there's moments like that when we go out in the gospel and we spread the word and people are having a go at us for what we believe or they're having a go at us for the stand that we make that is a a biblical and a godly stand and they go, oh come on. Think of Margaret Court. They need to know that they are not the only ones. There are 7,000 that have not bowed the knee we just got to remember that Elijah just needed a good meal with a church family. He should have just walked on in here and go, hey guys, I just need some lovin' Because we are Burnside Family Church who shows love to strangers. And it's moments like that when we're facing suffering for the sake of the gospel that we need to be shown love and care from our church family, knowing that we're not doing it alone. This passage goes on to say, Remember those in prison. In first century Jewish culture, people were usually held in prison only before a trial or before execution. It's not like today where you're in prison as a punishment in itself. In the early church congregation, people were taken to prison because of their beliefs. Think of Paul, Silas, Timothy, the guy who's mentioned at the end of this chapter. When they were in prison, it was a family member or a house church family member who might provide their clothes and their food, maybe if they were allowed in, but they would send them stuff. There was nothing. When they went in and they were flogged, they were flogged with the clothes on, they would live in conditions that were disgusting. And so it was the church family who would give them clothes, who would bring them food. And so today in our context... If someone in our church is suffering, let us show some compassion. Let's try to meet their needs in a practical manner. Give them food. Give them drink. Take them out for a cup of coffee. Take them out for lunch and hear how they're doing. And most definitely remember them in your prayers. And we're also to pray for our Christians across the world. In China, Afghanistan, Syria... Sudan and many other countries who are suffering for the sake of Christ in some, pra- some practical ways that we can help them as they live their life outside the camp is to donate, donate to Open Doors I'm sure you've heard of that it's an organisation where it um, assists the persecuted church with Bibles training and practical support for them to continue sharing the gospel in those places man, they're living outside the camp And as we live outside the camp, responding to the call of Jesus, in verse 7, it says, we're to look upon those mothers and fathers of the faith. Admire them, respect them, imitate those who have finished the race well. Despite their struggles or their persecution, they have stood the test of time and they have held strongly to their faith. For those in our church, there are... Some people who have stood the test of time in our church. I'm looking at a couple of them. You have stood the test of time through hard stuff, through persecution, through insults, through just tough going. You have stood the test of time and you are finishing the race well. For those that are in our church, ask them questions. Talk to them. Let them share their stories. Allow them to pray for you. For those that are outside the church, we can uh, can look to them as examples as well. Read about them, study their lives. These are men, fathers and mothers of the faith who have done it and they have stood the test of time. Allow them to be your encouragement and your hope and your role model so that we can finish the race well. Because it's all about that city which which is to come in verse 14. Another way we can live outside the camp is in our home. Again, let's look at it through the lens of living a life outside the camp. Let's consider Hebrews 13, 4 to 8. Verse 4 says, Marriage should be honoured by all. And in a landscape where the view of marriage as ordained between the union of one man and one woman is altering, let us deliberately choose to be faithful to the Lord's authority and to honour it, honour marriage as the union between one man and one woman. In our current environment, we should be promoting marriage as God ordained it. And if we're thrown insults because of it, well, that's the radical cost of following Jesus. Think of Margaret Court again. It's the radical cost of following Jesus. We need to teach our children Christian values around marriage, which includes not having sexual relations with every Tom, Dick and Harry. Let's promote the godly values of keeping the marriage bed pure. Just this example alone goes against the grain of today's culture, doesn't it? Just think of TV shows just as like The Bachelor, Love at First Sight, I was up late on Friday night and I just flicked on the TV and it was only for 15 minutes. And I I saw this show called Take Me Out. Don't know if you've heard about it. It It's a bit like the old perfect match but different. And there's this one guy looking for love amongst 30 women. And, you know, they answer a series of real deep questions like, if you were, were a dessert, what kind of dessert would you be? That is deep, like getting to the hard stuff. And the show narrows it down to one lady for this man. Now, they've known each other for a total of 15 minutes, including ads, mind you. And the prize is a trip to the Gold Coast where they're going to spend a crazy weekend together. I, this is... I just went, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Let me tell you, that is not honouring marriage, is it, people? <laughs> I was getting a bit... Oh, anyway. Church... Are we prepared to live outside the camp and keep our marriage bed pure? Are we prepared to speak out and promote godly living according to godly principles, even if it causes us to look foolish for Jesus, even if it causes us shame and the disgrace that that what Jesus bore? Second thing verse 5 to 6 it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never f- will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And this passage, again, looking at it from our lens of living outside the camp, is about our response as we bear Christ's shame and disgrace. It's a war- the warning to be free from the love of money, addresses anxiety when we're faced in a threatening situation. When the early church had faced previous persecution because of their radical faith, their property had been taken away from them. It had been confiscated. And there was a frightening prospect that this could happen again. And so it suggested that some church members wanted to secure their future through the accumulation of property and material possessions expecting those possessions to protect them from further persecution and for some storing of their possessions turned their faith and trust away from God to protect them instead of relying on God to protect them they wanted to rely on this house and this and their uh, possessions you know maybe because of bribery and all those sorts of things And the writer of Hebrews rebukes them and he reminds them to increase their faith and rely on God as their helper because that end of that passage says, because what can man do to me? Jesus will never, ever, ever forsake us. He will never, ever leave us. All our possessions were ever to dissolve. We know that Jesus will never leave us and we can rely on God as our helper. Even if man takes everything away from us, takes away our status, our job, our credit card, our house, our car, our bank account, our reputation, all our possessions. Even if man kills us because of our faith in Jesus Christ, are we prepared to say it doesn't matter? I am still complete in Christ and he is my helper and that is all that matters Are we prepared to say it doesn't matter what people think of me because who I am comes from Christ and I am a child of the Most High God and it is in Him alone? Because living in this world is not about us and it's not about our possessions, it's all about Jesus and it's all about that city that is to come. And lastly, living a life outside the camp, in our community. The early Christians were used to sacrificing animals. And now that Jesus had become the ultimate sacrifice, what were they going to sacrifice? They were in a bit of a quandary. Well, we've been sacrificing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Uh, Now what do we do, guys? And so the writer's response is that even better than our outward religious practices is our heart, is a heart that speaks of praise to God and worships him. God wants our heart. He doesn't want our sacrifices of animals and blood and back in the Levitical arrangement. He wants our heart. And we know that out of our heart, our mouth speaks. True? So for us to be with Jesus outside the camp, We need to make Jesus real in our hearts. We need to make Jesus real in our lives. We need to make Jesus part of our everyday. We need to call on his name, admitting that we can't do it without him and that we are totally dependent and totally reliant on him and we are to worship and pray to him and share our faith, speak out praises out of our lips despite what response we receive. And as we go with Jesus outside the camp of comfort and security, Scripture says not to forget, to do good, and to share. These might require a sacrifice of our money, our abilities, and our time. And yet his promises to us is that he will equip us with every good thing for doing his will. And he knows we can do it because he's called us. And he is most pleased with these sacrifices, which is what that verse says in verse 15, 16. He is most pleased with the fruit of our lips because that is is when he knows that our real heart, that who we are, that what we think and what we do is in direct response from what Jesus has done for us. Because at the end of the day, we need to show Jesus to the world, don't we? And we need to bring as many people with us outside the camp so that everybody can live in the city that is to come. Amen. So we're going to close our eyes and I'm going to finish by reading that benediction in Hebrews 13, verse 20. It says, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.